Sit your ass Sit your down. Ass down. Sit your ass Sit down. down. Let's talk about, talk the, about suffering. the suffering. It's time to start the pain. The pain. Sit your ass Sit down. down. Sit your ass Sit down. down. And strap in. Strap in. This is gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. This is gonna hurt. It's time for the Suffering Podcast. Collectively, our memories are very short. The worst of our lives fades away, and the memories that are pleasant replace the trauma and suffering to forge a new history. A scar tells a story. Where you were, what you were wearing, and what you felt. Some will try everything in their power to cover them up so that they never have to see them again. Lying to ourselves like it never happened. That suffering rears its head in some surprise fashion. What if we were to wear our scars like badges of honor, award ribbons pinned to our chest for all to see, to show that we are battle-tested and life-prepared? The feelings we experience during those times of trouble are there for a reason so that we do not repeat history and learn from our pain. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felace, and on this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we're honored to sit down with living history. We're here with Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson has a very interesting story to tell because he was a survivor. I guess a survivor is the right term to put, Mike. I would say so. I would say a hero. I would think so, too. Without doubt, hero. He is a survivor of D-Day, and this is the suffering of D-Day. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. We really appreciate it. Before we get started, I want to thank our marquee sponsor. That's Toyota of Hackensack. We buy our cars there because we trust them. Uh, If you're looking for a car, go to toyotahackensack.com and let them find you a car. Now, this isn't St. Bob Gibson that pitched for the St. Louis Cardinals back in the day, was it? Looks a little different. Look a little different. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Gibson, thank you. It's it's a real honor. And sitting with us is our very own Chris Yeager. Chris has been on on an episode, and he's been a longtime supporter of the Suffering Podcast. Also, he's your chauffeur today. Yeah, very fortunate. Look at that. <laughs> I'd had a hell of a time finding this place. <laughs> Chris had a hell of a time finding it, too. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for offering. It, it is really our honor. And this this episode, just so you know, Mr. Gibson, I'm I, I'm sorry, I'm going to refer to you as Mr. Gibson. It's just, it's it's in me to do that. This episode is solely... I think it's. I think the audience needs to hear this story. But this is a selfish episode for Mike and I. We've we've talked about this for a long time since Chris told us of of your existence. Okay. This is one we wanted to get down. We wanted to get this on on tape to tell a story so that we may never forget. Right. So before we get into any of the, any of the good stories, any of the good stuff, let's talk about this week's social media question, and it comes from Derek. Has time faded your traumatic memories? Mr. Gibson, you've seen trauma on a scale that I don't think people realize. You're 78, 78 years gone. Right. 78 years since. Yeah. From June 6, 1944. Has any of those memories faded in time? No, never will. So it, I'll take that memories with me. <laughs> well, you need to talk about those memories because there's, there's a whole generation of kids out there that only read about it in books. And you're somebody here to attest to the to the horrors of that day. You're like a living book now. <laughs> you know, people just read about what you saw. I mean, that's that to me is that's unbelievable. Well, the most important thing is the basic training. This is what made you pull through the whole thing. It was tough. Thirteen weeks of basic training, and they shortened it for World War Two. Yeah, needed people, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh, it was done at Camp Davis, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Now, those people that you went through with and were on the beach with at Utah, did you ever stay, did you stay in contact with them? Very few. Very few. In fact, there's only one left that I'm aware of. Oh, really? Chris, I want to pass this question off to you. Sure. All right. So you've been through, you were, you're a veteran of some serious conflicts. You've done some heavy crap. Sure. 
as time moves further away from your incidents, has the bad memories faded at all? No. No? No. In fact, I would say that uh, the memories are, are even more present now than ever. When you talk about them, do they seem to bubble up? Uh, they ha- they have, but I, I definitely think, you know, as we've talked before, talking about it has helped me tremendously to the point where now, you know, I can talk to people and answer questions and it's it's not as bad as what it used to be. Mike? You know, like, like you said, I, I don't think the memories ever go away. I don't think they fade uh, for you personally. The thing that really bothers me is, is it seems that the memories fade for people who haven't gone through it. The, you pub, know, the public has short memories. The pub, public has short memory. I mean, we talk about 9-11 all the time. Like that You couldn't buy a flag in the United States right after 9-11. Yeah. Then all of a sudden it started going down and down and down. Right. The world was never as close as it was after 9-11. And look where we are now. Was it the same, Mr. Gibson, was it the same after Pearl Harbor on December 7th? Do you no. Re- no? As far as the unity? Everybody woke up. Yeah. We got caught sleeping. We got caught sleeping. Pearl Harbor, we got caught sleeping as a nation. And 9-11, we got caught sleeping as a nation. In fact, there's one survivor of Pearl Harbor that was with me yesterday. And no kidding. Really? For 100 years old. So my grandfather was there. Yeah. My grandfather and, was at Pearl Harbor. Thing, this must have happened during a weekend. You know, they had nothing to shoot back with. Everything was locked up. Well, they say there's a myth of Pearl Harbor. That when the last Pearl Harbor survivor dies, because there's oil dripping up from the, the boats that are under the water, when the last drip of oil comes up from the ship, that's when the last Pearl Harbor survivor will is gone. Is that right? That's the myth. That's the myth. <laughs> Who knows if that's true? That's a good story. Yeah, I think it's a good story. Well, it's a good Hollywood story. Awful difficult for them. They yeah. couldn't get anybody out mm-hmm. because of the formaldehyde between the, insula- the insulation. Mm-hmm. So this sort of put a cutting torch in that started fumes and that. that. And then they, when the, the people who made it into the water were covered with oil, it, it's it's a horrible event. And yeah. you know, there's some really hor- There's some real horror that went on in during World I, War II that people don't realize. Let me tell you what he did. He told me the other day. Why well, he's a good friend of mine. Yeah, the only thing he had left was potato guns <laughs> <laughs> made out of drain pipes. <laughs> For me, my my at the time of this recording, which today is July six, my my shooting happened on July tenth. Every year after my shooting, around this time, it gets very difficult for me. I start having the same nightmares. I I start waking up in in sweats. I start having just you know, I'm I'm uneasy. I'm on edge a okay. little bit more, uh, and I'm I'll be nine years removed as of this Sunday, and. I just I hope I hope and pray for a day where it is a it is just a, a vague memory in my head. I don't know whether it's ever going to happen. Take a long while. Take a long Believe while. Me. Yeah, but you, I mean, you still think there's something that triggers it every day. Yes, there's something, and I'm sure, Mr. Gibson, it goes for you too. There isn't a day that goes by where you don't think about right. D-day Absolutely and everything correct. Everything else. I mean, you see a piece of charred meat. I'm assuming you saw a lot of charred bodies on on the yeah. beach. So is there something specifically that triggers you back? I hate to use that word trigger. I don't even like that word. Something that triggers me with all the young fellas that never made the beach. Yeah. Well, so is the, I want to, oh God, I don't even know where to start on this one. Um, When that door opened and the bullets started coming. You saw a lot of people in front. You were there in the, what wave were you in? Second wave. You were the second wave. So when that door opened up, how many would you say out of 10 people made it out? Oh, I would probably 50%, five. 50%, Jesus. Jesus, you imagine breaching a door as a cop? Let me explain a little bit how I landed on the beach. But we were left England on an LST, okay? All our equipment's in the bottom. We landed on the beach on a rhino ferry. This is a, nothing but a pontoon boat that holds several pieces of equipment. That's how we got on the beach because we had too much weight on an LST to get in close enough to the beach. 
Mm. And there was also bomb holes and everything else along the beach. Yeah. Right. So before we get into the real meat of what D-Day was, you were born in 1923. You're a depression baby. Yeah. I grew up with a lot of, my Aunt Phyllis was a depression baby. She canned everything. Yeah, absolutely. Let's give us, because everybody was afraid it was coming back. Root beer in the attic. <laughs> Root beer in the attic. <laughs> so growing up in the Depression, you know, let's, let's, let's start there, because that's another piece of living history that we need to discuss. How did that shape your formative years in not, I, I don't, I heard stories and I heard the worst of the worst stories. Was that like you, how you grew up? Well, I was very fortunate. My father was a signal maintainer in the Jersey Central Railroad at the time. So uh, he knew quite a bit what was going on because the railroad was being used for everything. Yeah. And that's how I knew what, the, what it was going to be like. Right. Now, did you, you, some of your friends, their parents obviously lost their job. It's just the law of statistics. Did you, did you lost feel, everything? Yeah. Did you feel that growing up, that loss? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Not knowing if you're going. I remember my my grandfather telling me that their his mother couldn't afford shoes, so they would put newspaper in the bottom of them. When oh they yeah. Got holes when they got holes. Now my my kids have so many shoes they don't know what yeah. to do with them. They don't know which one to wear. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and the sneakers today. I mean, forget it. Yeah, they're you not know. the they're not the same. So I I walked in my son's room. He's got like thirty pairs of sneakers. I said, "How many feet do you have?" Yeah. You, we were conservative people, you know, farmers, basically. My parents were farmers. Where were, where were you born and raised? Right in Hampton, New Jersey. That's out, that's off of 78, oh, right? 78, yeah. Yeah, 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 they, yeah they, so did, were they hit just as hard, or did you not feel it as much as people say in the cities? I, I stayed there. In fact, the only time that I left in my uh, 47 years of marriage, was two years I spent four miles away. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was very fortunate to live in Hampton. I have a lot of friends. I was mayor of Hampton. You were the mayor of Hampton? Yeah, in the 70s. No kidding. So I had a little experience. Of, You're not one of those dirty politicians, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm still, still a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you're allowed to say whatever you want to say. Okay. Listen, you got carte blanche. Yeah. Nobody's, nobody's going to say anything bad about if you. Anybody, whatever you want. If anybody's ever earned a card to say whatever they want to say at 98 years old, right. you have that honor. And I'll probably say it, too. <laughs> Go right ahead. How, how vividly do you remember the events of, Pearl Harbor, and let's talk a little bit about that. Never. It's all I remember is that I was in school, mm. and uh, it was through the principal. I think we had a TV at that time. Wow, that was, that was a that, progressive school. Yeah. So that's that's how basically how I found out about it. What was the announcement like? Do you it was, you, you thought, well, what's next? Oh, really? What? This is the attitude you got towards it. And again, that's the same thing I had at 9-11. Me too. You know, that's Me the too. only thing we could correlate that to is that's the same thing I had at 9-11. You're like, you know, playing at the tower, then, you know, playing at the other tower, and then playing at the Pentagon. I'm like, what's going to happen next? Yeah. That's the only, where are we going? That's the only thing we have to relate to D-Day or Pearl, actually Pearl Harbor is 9-11 because that's, that's our generation. Right. I was sitting in the police academy. And we heard a plane hit the World Trade Center. And you think, okay, planes hit the World Trade Center all the time, little Cessnas or whatever. So you didn't think anything of the first plane. And then you hear the second plane. And I remember it was... I oh, could, incidentally, I was working at that time. And I was in Port Elizabeth. No kidding. Wow, you are right there? For, uh, I worked for... I worked for Airco Welling Supply which made all welding and cutting and yep. so that's equipment. familiar with that. And I was on a call there at, at, in Jersey City. No kidding. And this is where I seen it. So you saw it. Yeah, yeah you it's saw it. Second, second plane, I see. No kidding. See, did, did, did that, oh, I don't want to, I know flashbacks is anything, but that, did that give you, like, bring you back to D-Day? Similar, yeah, yes, it had a similar feeling to it, right, yeah. right. And this is something we're trying to get to to our audience, something that they can relate to. Those who are alive, and there's many people now. You got to remember that's we're talking 21 years ago. People who were alive during 9 11, 
and the feeling of anxiety and the terror and what's next coming. The unknown. And the unknown. And you're telling me it's it's a similar feeling. So then everybody can feel what Pearl Harbor was like. Right. And I re- I remember going, oh my gosh, like what what now? What what what's what's going on now? Right. Yeah. Now, how old were you when Pearl Harbor happened? You had to be 18, 19 years 19, old. It was nineteen forty one. Do the math. Seventeen, eighteen. Seventeen, eighteen. Oh, you were. You had to be. Yeah, I bet your parents were more concerned than anybody else because they right. knew what was coming. Right. Were you drafted? Yes, I was. Yeah. 43. October of 43. I was in senior high school. <laughs> what, what was the feeling like when you when you got drafted? Because you knew you were going to war at that point. I mean, people well, go, people enlist now. Well, I'm not saying now, but when I was 18 years old and I was too much of a baby to go in the military, there was no wars going on. He's still a baby, Mr. Gibson. Yeah. yeah. He's still a baby. Yeah. I just want to let you know. <laughs> no, but he, you knew. You were going into war. You know, back when I was 18, 19 years old, there was nothing going on. Yeah. You know, people There's just nothing you could just, do about it. Yeah. Uncle Sam says, I want you. You went and you done your job. Remember the poster. I want you. Hey. Now, hey. When, yeah. when, you had, when you got drafted, was there a, a, a patriotic feeling like, I'm going to go do my job? I'm going to oh, go fight? Absolutely. I wasn't the only one in that senior class that went too. Now, the, the reason I ask you this is because my grandmother's brother, I, I have his letters. He, he We lost him in World War II. And I have his letters that he wrote home to my grandmother. And I read them. And if you read the first letter, it's like, I'm going to go kill the Japs. I'm going to go kill the Germans. I'm real patriotic. You, you couldn't write anything like that. In a, in a, in to, you, you had an email. The only thing you could say, well, do, I'm doing fine. Everything's okay. Well, Every, everything was a secret. The... Um, so he these letters came back, and then over time, as he's writing letters, you see him getting very dejected, because war will bring out the dejection in people. They'll it'll it'll kill their morale and their spirit because everybody thinks of of war as and Chris, you can attest to this as well. Everybody thinks of war as you're constantly shooting, constantly fighting. It's the downtime that's the bad stuff. Yeah, right? that's that's when it it really hits you. You know, you yeah. start missing home and. You know, start, that's, that was him. Yeah. That was, the, the, his name was Frank Blank. Um, and, uh, he's buried in a, in a military cemetery, cemetery in Camden County. I've been down to his grave, but he, you see this idealistic kid turn into what the army really is. Was that when you got in, you weren't even ready. You didn't even have time to sell your wild oats. <laughs> <laughs> At that age, jeez, jeez, you know, and and think of how many kids went to war without sowing their wild oats, yeah. missing out on all the good stuff. In life. A lot of virgins died in war. <laughs> <laughs> Was that you though? Did you did you realize the reality of of the army and the military? Once you got in basic training, you sure did. Yeah, and right. they were they were fast tracked too. Then, right? I yeah. mean, like you said, what was it? Thirteen weeks. Yeah, boy, you didn't have much sleep. Yeah. You had a lot to learn in those 13 weeks to, right. to save your ass is really to what take it comes care of yourself. Yeah. That's why I think all the young kids should go to in service. Number one, you learn how to take care of yourself health wise and mentally wise. So the, the drill instructors in your basic, uh, and I know this was, this was true during the Vietnam era. The drill instructors were a little extra hard oh. on, on the recruits than a normal peacetime military. Was that was that the same in World War II? Absolutely. Because, we had a first sergeant. We really barked. But he. But if you look at it now, removed, they're responsible for your staying alive. Right. Absolutely. For, Absolutely. Yeah. For shaping a person in order to save your own life. Right. Really, what it comes down to is save your life and save others' lives. I, I heard the story from Arlie Army when he was still alive. He was sitting. He would he would sit after he was a, DI, a drill instructor. He would sit in a in a coffee shop reading the paper, and he would look through the names because they would post the names of people who were killed in action. Yeah, and he would look through the names, and he, he talks about the feeling of losing one of his recruits. So, I've heard that before, and it's interesting that you say it. Thirteen weeks is not a long time to prepare a guy to go out and kill. Thirteen tough weeks. I can imagine. I can imagine. You you went in. Did you? How did? How talk to me about basic training back then? Tough. Yeah. Tough. 
get a couple of whacks from the DI? <laughs> yeah, the reason why it's a, you have to learn how to take care of yourself. Yeah, but you, these are all younger fellows. Same way, you know, you get a couple of guys a little bit cocky. You have to take them up behind the chair, knock them down a few pegs. Right, right, right. This is the part that you have to learn. Mm-hmm. And the training was tough. Who the hell thought ever anybody would go be going in with a M1 rifle with a bayonet on the end of that? Huh? I I think one of the I don't know if you ever saw the movie called Biloxi Blues is Neil Simon play. And they talk about basic training during World War II. It was at the end of the war. And uh, the the torturous conditions that they went through. But he makes it kind of funny. Um, and I always imagined that it's that way. Because it's not, it, it's tough. And I'm sure you can't understand the value of what you went through when you were going through it. But when you got out. The important thing. Yeah. So when you get out of basic training, did they tell you where you were going? Yeah. We were, for, when they get told us we were only going to be there for 13 weeks, you're, you're headed for overseas. Yeah. Now, was it, was it immediate? Like, once you graduated, you shipped off right away? Yeah. You got no time Ten off days. in between? Well, we got four-day pass before, before we left. Yeah. And you're all trying it's to fight a, over one girl in the town, right? Yeah, exactly. Jesus Christ. Then I lost my first girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, they had their pick of the litter. You know, you better be one damn look, good-looking guy. Uh, Kevin wouldn't have done very well back then. <laughs> yeah. look at that. Well, place. let me tell you a little bit of experience on basic training. We were down south, North Carolina, okay? Camp Davis. Our captain was from the south. And you get a captain, he wake you up about 5 o'clock in the morning, said, we're going to take a 25-mile hike and say in full pack. In, in some heat, too. That's right. Yeah. Well, hell, they had two-and-a-half-ton trucks falling, picking the guys up to fill out. <laughs> but I made it. But I made up my mind that was the last time I was going to take a 25-mile hike. Yeah. So, so no marathons in your future. No, I directly went into the motor pool. <laughs> <laughs> that was my grandfather. My grandfather was in the motor pool. Yeah. Yeah, he was in the motor pool. Now, now being down south and having a, a, a drill instructor from down south, were they still fighting like the north-south battle? Like did they pick it on pick on the north, northerners more I than? I think they're a little bit harder. Yeah, I figured that. They're still, listen, a lot of them are still fighting the Civil War now. Yeah, oh, yeah, hell yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try I driving through Virginia. Oh, they see New Jersey license plates. You got to be careful what you see. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you find out you're going to ship overseas. What's that? Was it dread? Was it a feeling of, oh, no? You had to do it. Yeah. Queen Elizabeth, we went over on five days. <laughs> And that's not a cruise liner, just so everybody yeah. knows. That's a QE2 and all those things. Five days. Just remember that. Wow. Wow. Zigzag, even a zigzag course. It, you're right, because yeah. you, you, uh, you got to avoid the, the U-boats. We had the opportunity to man the guns on the top deck. Okay. Did you did you Because enc- we were in artillery at that time. When when you were going across, did you ever did you come across any U-boats, any, no, any resistance? No. A couple of times they sped up the boat a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah. Something must have been in the area, but we, we weren't aware of it. No. Now, what was the conversation like on the boat well, between you and your, your fellow soldiers? Well, <laughs> like a lot of what? You can say whatever you want. Like a lot of that. what the, the fucks are we getting into? The, the conversation was the, on the lower deck was a bunch of wax. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those are the conversations that people need to hear because everybody thinks that everybody has a very romanticized version of World War II, mm-hmm. but it's still war. And Chris, you know, war is war, Chris. Yeah. And you guys are young kids. I'm sure cursing like a, I don't want to say sailor. <laughs> Drunk sailor. Because you're army, so you, you don't call an army vet a sailor. But I'm sure you were talking about girls and all the stuff that young kids talk about. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. Playing cards, gambling. A lot of false bravado, too. Friday night. Yeah. Friday night. In the latrine. <laughs> <laughs> and seasick. Well, you have all the other things. Seasickness, horrible food. You couldn't complain. Really? You know, you're lucky to get something to eat. Well, you're a captive audience. You can't complain. You know, if you're going to eat, you're going to eat. You know? So your diet it's not, like, can... it's not like McDonald's is going to fly anything out to you down there then, back then. How long, and this, we're going to fast forward for a second. How long after you got out of the army 
did you st- stop putting Tabasco and ketchup on everything? Everything. Absolutely right. Right. <laughs> I put that shit on everything. <laughs> My grandfather always did that. I could never understand. Like ketchup and Tabasco on everything. Yeah. And he did that for his entire life. He was a he was a vet just like you. But, but we basically when we got over there, we were fed. We had a kitchen set up, no matter where we went. We landed in an island and uh, Belfast. We stayed there a few days and went on into England. Uh, Wales, then down into England. We wound up in southern England, a little town called Western Supermare. You didn't run into any Donaldsons over in Belfast, did you? No. That's where my family's from. <laughs> <laughs> I said it's true. <laughs> they would have they helped you. They would have given you some, yeah. some liquor and some beer. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Some potatoes. Yeah. They, they would give you a couple potatoes, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. The only Donaldson I know gives me a headache now. You know? <laughs> The shine off of your head gives me a headache. Uh, keep going with the question. Right? <laughs> Mr. Gibson, I just want to know, how is it that you have more hair at 98 years old than my partner, Mike? I don't have as much as he does. <laughs> oh, you got more than he does? Look at <laughs> it. Some on the back. <laughs> In fact, I, I just got a haircut yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> So, but see, he's a good-looking guy. He doesn't have to cover his face with well, hair, thank, but this, with hair like you do. Thank yeah, we, you. I'm a good-looking guy. That's no, what you no, just said, Mr. Right? Gibson. Is a we always wore a helmet. <laughs> that yeah. rubs that rubs the hair off a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. net underneath it. You know. <laughs> well, you were probably still shaved clean. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I guess it, it, uh, there wasn't probably a whole lot of showering going on. No, on hell no. Was <laughs> <laughs> what we got in England though. Yeah. They treated you good. I guess the people in England and Ireland and, and Scotland, they would probably thrilled to see you. Or happy oh, to see yeah. You. yeah. Absolutely. At least a little bit of peace is coming their way. Now, at this time in the war. That's when they sowed their wild oats. When all the, <laughs> the Irish women saw them. Say, hey, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so look at this. Look we, went, we, went to, we went to a town dance. <laughs> <laughs> look at the smile on his face. I love it. I love it. Was, now, I know D-Day is the technical portion of, the, of World War II where the tides, where we were winning. We were truly winning. Uh, what, was the, what was the feeling as far as who was winning the war when you landed in England? We couldn't care less. We had the job to do and do it. See, that's, that's, wow. a, that's a man that right is, there. That is. You have a job to do. You get chills just, when he said that. <laughs> and a lot of times we didn't like it either, you know. Oh, of course. Yeah. I hate my job a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I do it, but I also don't have bullets flying in my head of my job. Yeah. I hate this yeah. podcast at times, too. But God, uh, I'm sorry. See what where, I got to deal where, with, where, Mr. Where Gibson? Yeah. Well, when we first landed on the beach, we got a job of guarding the uh, uh, armor at Depot. Munition depot, and uh, it was pretty good size, the size of a field. And first, second night, second night, we they bombed the place. Get, you couldn't walk any place unless there's a shot going off. Yeah, no kidding. Really, no but kidding. Nobody got killed, but we stayed plenty low, though. <laughs> How long were you in? Were you were you stationed in Ireland in in England before a year? A year before Operation Overlord. Which is the the term used by the higher ups right, right, for the right. D Day invasion? Right. We now, spent a lot of time in Wales practice firing. All at that time we were getting all new equipment too. Oh, really? Sure. Well, I, I guess you know. I know the war machine in Germany. They were hurting for raw materials, so they they were starting to wind down their production. I know, but and thankfully so because. From everything I've read, Germans had better technology than the U.S. No question. Yeah. I heard this from... Good example of that, the 88 gun. The 88 gun? 88 gun. That was a portable... No matter where you stepped, they could watch you. My uncle George was prisoner of war for 27 months in Germany. And he, at the end of his his prisoner... his prisonership, I don't know how, where the, where the top where the term is, prisonership. He was guarding, um, they had, they were fixing up their jet planes because the Germans came out with the jet plane mm-hmm. and he always called it a polka dot plane. And to, and every day it came back and they would put another American flag on it because it shot down an American plane until one day it came back on the back of a truck. And he said, all the prisoners, they all cheered hmm. because that plane was a dangerous plane. Let me tell you, the older German people were f- for us. 
Yeah. The younger ones, you had to watch. Really? Why do you think that is? That's a good point. I don't Probably the bringing up. Yeah. A, this yeah. is Hitler's time. You do this, you do that, we're going to do this. And they, they had to do it too. What was your personal feelings towards Adolf Hitler? Hey, you could say it. Say it. Let it fly. Shithead. Shithead. <laughs> nope. Hated the motherfucker. <laughs> Why? Well, he be, he thought he was going to rule the world. You, one person can't do that. Correct. And uh, the people that he had, uh, I think some of them understood this, too. The older generation understood that he couldn't do it, but he the brainwashed young, the young, younger generation to think that he could do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that's, your, that's your the discrepancy in the old Germans and the young take, Germans. We got to the point where they take our, our uniforms off for dead soldier and wear it. Really? And, and you wouldn't know who the hell you yeah. had. Right, because it, it's not like they're... they're and this wasn't at the end of the war either. This was during the war. I never thought about that aspect of it, but it makes perfect sense. You got to camouflage yourself any way you can. Hell yes. Yeah. So at what point do you know that this big invasion's coming? Obviously, you can't tell anybody. You can't write a letter home. Well, we were preparing to leave England. Yeah. Everything had to be waterproof. And we spent at, uh, practically three weeks Nothing but waterproof and equipment. What was something? Give me an idea of what, what you had to waterproof. All electric components. And this is nothing but graphite and oil. Mm-hmm. And it would stick to any location that you put it. Mm-hmm. So anything that was in contact with electricity and, and like the uh, motorized motor equipment, all the spark plugs and things had to be covered. Wow. And it took us a Hell of a while to do this. So you sure. you seem like a, a very a, f- a fairly intelligent man. So you you know you're you know you're going somewhere to invade. You know you're doing a water landing, right? These are all things that you're extrapolating from how you're preparing. Yeah, and we had a couple practice invasion for loading LST too. At what point did you say this is this is happening? Right when we're doing that because we lost one LST that at that 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 procedure. No kidding. And we knew that it's so, just a matter of time. June 5th comes around, the day before the invasion. You guys are loading up. I know the invasion at Utah Beach started at 0130. What time did you start packing up? Oh, oh day before. Yeah, I was going to say it had to be for a while. At that but point. don't forget, we had big equipment, too. No, no sleep that night? No, no, no hell no. Sleep, sleep you didn't get. You weren't worried about sleeping. What was the what was the atmosphere amongst the guys? We had to do what they had to do. Was any anybody scared? You know you know of anybody that turned tail and ran? Yes, we do. One second lieutenant never went on the beach. He went back on the LST. It's funny. It's funny. He's the one that stood at the chow line and wanted to check your fingernails, see if there's any dirt. It's funny you say that because during my shooting, one of the lieutenants ran away, left me for dead. Hmm. It's got to be something with lieutenants. He's up. He's up there. With a <laughs> he was a lieutenant. Officer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's but uh, this is the turning point where we knew damn well where we were headed. This shit got real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this shit yeah. just got real. Yeah. You start loading up into the LST. We're, yep. Anybody throwing up? No. No. Everybody's stone faced, stoic. So did their job. And we had to chain everything fast. Don't forget these damn things are flat bottom boats. Mm-hmm. The English Channel was the smoothest. <laughs> Seventy eight. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't calm day. So the thing of it is, we had to untangle this stuff, and we got ready to go on a beach. And there was not just like stepping. You had to get going. It reverts back to your training at that point, also. You know. In the heat of the moment, you go back, you revert right back to your training, and it's like almost like clockwork, and you know, it's like you said, just keeps going. It's the only thing I can remember after we got everything all done, we hadn't pulled out yet. We were all hungry, and the Navy had a lot, lot of peaches, canned peaches. Where did we tie into them? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. You, you know, one of our sponsors is X Body US, and and it, it focuses it really focuses on first responder body health and mental health. 
with a lot of different uh, uh, procedures that they have in there. And you boys, I know you didn't have that stuff, but you still move forward anyway. You didn't have all this, all this uh, mental health training or physical. Hell you no. had physical training, but the you- only thing we had is guts. Yeah. <laughs> Guts and balls. Right. Go to X Body US right. and check for the gut health. <laughs> That's <laughs> you. You had, yeah, you had balls the size of cantaloupes. I'm going to say that, and I know it's it's odd to say that to a 98 year old man because I was always re- taught to respect my elders, but you guys had it. You guys had it. Yeah. You're on these LS. Thank God, thank God they did. The world's a different place. Otherwise, you know, things could have turned out real bad for us. Believe me, it wasn't easy. I know. I, I can't imagine the fortitude. Yet. Especially, like you said, as a 17 or 18-year-old kid, you know, the last thing you're thinking about is strapping on a gun and going to war. And then we come over on an LST. Mm-hmm. Then they dumped us off on a rhino ferry. That's a flat bottom, like a barge. Mm-hmm. And that's what we went on the beach with because the LST, we had too much weight on it. We couldn't get any close couldn't enough. Couldn't get close enough. That door drops. Yep. Down the ramp, you went uh, into the water. No, no, no. It went on the on the beach. You were actually on, on the on the Rhino ferry first before we went on the beach. Okay, so you went on the ferry first. Then we went on the beach. You're getting closer. Did the did the Rhino every ferry? tenth round going over your head was a tracer. So yeah, so for people who don't know what the tracers are, there's you'll see it in it's movies. A, it's a red show. Which yeah, what people don't realize with those those tracers is there's ten live rounds in between them. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, it's and and it probably lit up the sky. And there wasn't a, one of us that was eighteen, nineteen years old that wasn't crying. Believe me, and I know this. Somebody wrote a book about Civil War experience. And they say if any soldier, it was it was about soldiers in the Civil War. If any soldier tells you they never shit their pants, they're lying. You're right. You're absolutely right. So, again, this goes back to the war is war. I don't care whether it was 70 years ago, 150 years ago, or 300 years ago. You got to think back to Roman soldiers. They're they're going through the same feelings that you're going through, and the people who went to Iraq and Afghanistan feeling the same things over and over again. Only only difference is your training and your support system was probably better than what yours, yours was. So far. Yeah. Ours is in the 40s. Yeah. <laughs> so that door, you, you get on the beach. Every 10th round, every tracer round you see, there's 10 live rounds in there. So don't forget, when you're going on the beach, here's these pillboxes up, and you're just like ducks in a pond. Mm. No, it's a shooting gallery. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. And the only way they get to get them Germans out of the pillbox is flamethrowers. Which is the most dangerous job yeah. because a because bullet hits the flamethrower. And they had passed from one pillbox to another oh. underground. Oh, yeah. They had, the, they had the tunnels, which I think the pillboxes are still there. All right. Some of them. Some of them. Now, what's, what's going on in, internally in, in Bob Gibson? Oh, boy. We don't know what the hell's next. Yeah. Really. You're 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 in the you, you never went into the water, but you see in when I went in, when I went into the water off of the Rhino Ferry, I was driving an M4 tractor with a 90 millimeter gun on the back, and everything was waterproof. Okay, when I went down the ramp, the bombs holes in the beach was pretty deep. Some of them, and we were going like this, and the water was up to my lap. No kidding. And that was about six feet above. Were you on autopilot at that time, or was the, did the fear set in, or didn't you have time for fear? We've manned everything ourselves. No kidding. Now, how many? Uh, give my, me- my my tractor was just like a bulldozer. That didn't had levers instead of steering wheel. What are you seeing on the beach? Dead, what dead people? Dead people. I, our job was get off of the beach as soon as you could. So you actually had to drive over your wounded and dead. I don't even like to talk about that. Okay. Don't forget, we're all 18, 19 years. These poor guys never even had a chance to hit the beach. There was something like 35,000 troops that hit the beach at Utah. And I know you list you lost 10%. No, the statistics are 10%. Roughly. Um, 3,400, I think, were the casualties on yeah. the beach. Yeah. 10%. So think about your current life. Get your 10 closest friends. One of them is gone. Yep. One of them is gone. How many of your close compatriots 
that you were with that Is we lost. Still living? No, that w- that were lost on that beach. Two two main ones. Two main ones because they were in communication. They were they were they were first to set up the communication lines and so forth. They were, we lost them. Two of them in the trailer. The whole thing were just going back a little bit. How many guys were in your 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 uh, your class when you when you got enlisted? When you were in, when you went to basic? When yeah, thank you. When you went to basic, how many people were in your in your class or your group? Let's say around seventy-five. And now all of them went over there. How many actually made it that you know of? All but two. All but two. All but the two. You lost. You lost two. Yeah. But you don't even have a chance to grieve for your friends. Yeah, that's the worst part. I I had visited Gettysburg, and there was a, there was a guy there, and he was reading a, a letter home from this soldier who who charged up Little Round Top, and alongside of him is his brother and his father, and he talks about he looks to his left and he sees his brother get incinerated by a mortar, and within two se- within a heartbeat later he sees his father get filled full of mini balls. And he doesn't even have a chance to grieve. All he has to do is move forward. Because in three, in two seconds time, he lost his brother and he lost his father. And he still has to move forward. That's how quick things happen. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I, uh, I got chills thinking about it. Because I don't know how these men were able to move forward with such resiliency. Everybody says it's, it's a different generation. Yeah, you know, the people who fought in World War II are a different generation. We're we're people call our generations now a bunch of crybabies. Well, Mike's a crybaby, but not me. Well, I think I, my generation knows how to work, and when you know how to work, you're physically and mentally prepared to do anything. It was a it was an ethic, right? Yeah, it was an ethic. You know what though? It, it really goes back to like the social media question. You know, how long do these memories stay with you? At the onset of it. You know, like you said, you know, seeing all these people dead on the beach. I mean, that's really where it starts. And you have to start moving on from that point. You know, it's no different you know than saying? us going to a critical, a critical yeah. call. And then going on to the next call. Going you, on to you the gotta next call. You got to keep going. I mean, you had that, no choice. You got no yeah. choice. Now, you, now, first thing you do, any other time you stop and help somebody. Yeah. You can't. Just, you couldn't. You, you, you stop, you're dead. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Your, how, your how, job is to go and go fast as you could. How close did any rounds come to you personally? Pretty close. Yeah. I imagine it was just like a ping, ping, ping. Type. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you're, you're in a metal casket. Right, right. Pretty much. But the thing of it is my, my unit, uh, the M4 track, I had uh, 20 90 millimeter shells in the back plus gasoline on the top. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Now you you get on the beach, we take the beach. Yep. I mean, uh, there was Omaha, there was Utah, and was what were the other beaches that they landed at? There was the English and the northern. In the northern, and I know Omaha is that's the Saving Private Ryan beach, and that was one of the worst. At what point? How long did it, did it last when you were on the beach of this battle? Three days. Three days. Three days. No yeah. sleep. For three days, four days now because of the prep. Right, right. And everybody's exhausted. Everybody's on autopilot. Everybody couldn't care less what happened. You know, you just felt that way. Tired out. That's you, the the sheer exhaustion. No, You can't stop and eat. What are you going to stop and have uh, a picnic? K-rations. K-rations. So you ate uh, Franks and beans? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some crackers? Two, two cigarettes. Spam. 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 Lots of coffee. You know what? Now you're selling a good product because I love Spam. <laughs> Do you? Oh, I love oh. My grandfather used to make me Spam and eggs. I make my kids Spam and eggs. Uh, you just, hey, I want to look at a can of Spam. We got to get, our, we gotta get our, our sponsor's Grand Saloon. Nick, if you're listening at the Grand Saloon, 940 Van Houten Avenue, put Spam on the menu. Please put Spam on the menu. Make it a delicacy. That's all I want is Spam. All right, so Kevin, okay. Kevin just likes meat in a can. <laughs> <laughs> Spam is some delicious stuff. I don't know what it's made out of, and frankly, I don't want to know what it's made out of. You never read the ingredients. No. Anything, it, you don't read it, the ingredients. It can't be the same as what we had. It's got to be different. 
I don't, I don't know, but I've been to Austin, Minnesota, which is Spamtown, USA. That's where the Hormel factory is. I've been there. Oh uh, yeah, I've seen it. Uh, yes, I have. It's 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 an interesting experience. Gee, I may have to stop. I'm hungry now, so we can't uh, talk about food. I may have to go get spam on the way home. You, you know, got to cook. Like, you got to cook that spam. Were you able on when you ate your spam? Where you got to you got to like char it. How do we couldn't cook nothing? <laughs> what are you gonna do? Put it <laughs> on a barrel of your rifle? Heat it up a little bit. <laughs> hey, John Bassalone, he burnt the hell out of his hand on his, his yeah. rifle. So 50 caliber gun with a barrel hot. Yeah, they will. That'll cook, that'll cook spam for you. I know in the desert, in the tank brigade, uh, Sherman's, Sherman's uh, uh, not Sherman's, uh, Patton's army in the Sherman tanks, they used to cook eggs on the, they used to fry eggs on the top of the Sherman tanks. My uncle used to be, was through the family now, mm-hmm. Patton's. Head mechanic. No kidding. Really? Imagine he had a problem fixing that car after that accident, though. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably a bad one. But um, now you get you get to save three days are gone. D-Day is over. At what point did you guys take your helmets off and just <sighs> take a deep breath? At the fourth day. Then after that, we started on the move. No kidding. Did you encounter any? Don't forget, I, I, one thing I'd like to explain. Before. This is back in 1943, you know? And we st- had radar at that time. Anyway, we had a fuse finder on our, on our gun. That radar would send information down to the gun, and the guy would crank the, put the shell in, crank it, and set the fuse. No kidding. In 40, 1943 now. Now, on that fourth day when you had time to take that deep breath, you're sitting around with all the other guys. What were, like, the conversations like? What's next? Was it like, holy shit, what did we just go through? Yeah, yeah. Where, the hell, where the hell are we going to go from here? <laughs> now, we, 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 in, in law enforcement, we use humor, you know, to break the tension. To break the tension. Was yeah. there any, like, jokes going around that were like... Everybody's too serious. Yeah. You know, everybody's looking at their own... Looking for the own self, you know? Yeah. I should say looking at your own ass. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of sleeping going on that fourth day. <laughs> better believe it. Did you encounter any of the German prisoners? Or didn't you take any prisoners? We've seen some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. That's I it. guess the Treaty of Versailles didn't need much <laughs> that, at that point. You're so mad from what the hell just happened. Yeah. Where did you go after after Utah Beach? Right on St. Lowe area, and we followed the infantry. And our any aircraft gun, that's aircraft at night, artillery in the daytime, they would call us, and if they needed help ground-wise, we would fire artillery. Okay. This was all in communication type. How far did you make it inland? Did you, did you actually... <laughs> The first day was about three quarters of a mile, I think. Yeah. And and how much resistance in France did you encounter? Not too, not too much, right there. But the second day, yes. Yeah. Now I bet you the the citizens who you did see in France were pretty oh, darn happy to see you. You better believe it. Yeah. That's when you get the girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. You know the worst we, we, part. We. Let me tell you this story, there. Going on the beach wasn't bad. It, it, we had a a job to do we done it everybody tr- took off and what the where the officers told us to go but in the meantime the nights before gliders had been coming in no and, engines can't hear anything you can't hear anything and these poor guys didn't get it even on the ground they hung in the trees and the first experience was to see one of these gliders pilots walking down the road with his eye out with his eye out. And he was doing, going like this. No kidding. And he was, it was, it was pitiful, really. All alone, all alone. He didn't know where the hell he was yeah. going. But, uh, wow, that's sad. He'd done his job. It's amazing how many people did their job and, you know, paid the price for afterwards. So you make it in. How far inland did, once you're in, and you're encountering resistance, and you're fighting war. You're fighting what a traditional war is thought to be. Boy, the fast as the infantry progressed, we would follow it. Now, did you make it? Did you ever make it into Germany? No, no. Thirty kilometers from Germany. Thirty kilometers. 
So you were right there at the forefront. Yeah. Seen some of the Russians. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I had four or five wristwatches on there. I didn't know what time it was. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you trust the Rus- Russians back then? No. No. Trust nobody. Trust nobody. The war, at what point did you know the war was coming to an end? At your time there in the, Europe. The speed we were going. Yeah. When the speed picked up, you know, things were starting to. Oh, I could tell you some stories. You know, I was broke twice. From a T5. Yeah. And this is in the Rhine River area where the winery is, okay? <laughs> so we spent a couple of days in, in the winery. <laughs> and uh, we, we had a little time to, for ourselves. So we, I took a walk, me and another fellow, and walked out on the road, and there was a nice German BMW laid along the road. Oh, I thought, boy, we got to get that sucker going. We did. <laughs> And I didn't anymore get on of it, start down the road, and two star general come across me. <laughs> Boom, I lost my stripes right then and there. <laughs> and if I'd have had a chance at it, I'd run him for <laughs> So Chris, the worst thing you can give a soldier is idle time. Idle time is the devil's playground. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that all the time. That's same thing in police work. Yep. You know, idle time is always the worst. So the war ends, you go home. We had to talk a little bit about, we were in Battle of the Bulge, too, you know. I did not understand. I did not know you were in the Battle of the Bulge. Yes, indeed. Because they broke our outfit up, uh, the 90-millimeter gun crews alone, four four in each battery. And our job was to go at intersections in Belgium. And our AP shell was the only thing to stop a German tank. But it had to be hit in the right place. So most of us had intersections we had to cover. Now, that's the first time I was really scared. That's the first time you were scared? Really scared. How long into this was it after you you hit the beach? How long was this? Oh, this is uh, six or seven months after the boats pulled out. So there's there's a great scene in Band of Brothers, which I'm sure you've seen. I'm sure, I'm sure you've watched. It's probably very difficult for you to watch, bringing back so many memories. But there's a great scene where they're walking through a forest. These the, the 82nd Airborne had been through the Battle of the Bulge, and they 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 I think they do the battle some justice from what the vets were talking about who were there, and they're walking through this forest in Austria or something, and and they say, uh, "Wow, this just looks this look." I forget what battle, particular battle in the Battle of the Bulge was or conflict. And he says, "Wow, this reminds me of that forest that we were we were fighting." And he goes, "Yeah, it does. Except the trees aren't exploding." There was a tree standing. Yeah. If it wasn't maybe four or five foot high, it just. You know? uh, and our gun crew was separate from we. We I had to full t- drive the tra- tractor, so we had to stay away from the gun. So we would stay a quarter of a mile away from the need to get out in a hurry. But that's the first time I was really scared. At, at night, the Germans had come down and chill right along the hedgerows. Cripes, they were getting that, that close. And I thought, boy, that's it. Because it was so cold, you couldn't dig a foxhole. You had to lay on top of the ground and cover yourself up with snow. That's Guys, I know got, a lot crazy. of guys lost a lot of appendages from frostbite. Not oh, you bullet. better believe it. Yeah. But we were equipped for that. Yeah. I don't think you're—there's certain cold in this world that you're never actually— no matter how much you prepare, no matter how much equipment you have, there's certain cold that would just bite you. I'll tell you. Yeah. And we couldn't run our equipment because it was short of your gas. I used to run the, the full track. The exhaust was about like this size. It would get nice and warm. <laughs> Sucking in all those fumes and yeah. being happy to do it. It was dead, right? Didn't bother you a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Lighting your cigarettes off the uh, off the exhaust pipe. So now, now when when this whole thing, when you finally find out it's over, like how would you how were you notified that it's over? It's done. We're heading back home. Well, so, uh, how we were notified? We started to break up the, our equipment and our. We were transferred from an artillery to an engineering department that were being deployed. So that's that. Then that's the time we knew we some, something was going on. We didn't know where we were going yeah. to get back home, but it was over. 
How great was that trip trip back home? Terrible. It was terrible? You know you're going home and... and Italian troop ship. <laughs> 18 days. That's because Italians can't build anything right. You know that, Mr. Gibson. Here we go. Hey, 18 days. And you talk about people being sick. Oh, yeah. There wasn't a sick guy that could eat. <laughs> Even their own sailors. Well, that's, that's how they saved on food. <laughs> I was able to look out. The hatch wanted that. I got acquainted with a couple of guys. Hey, they opened the hatch up. I looked at the waves were above the boat. Wow. This thing was, the rivers were starting to pop out of the bulkhead. And that's when I had a lot of equipment I was going to bring home. But I threw it overboard. <laughs> nope. Oh, no. So at the bottom of the ocean, somewhere in the mid-Atlantic, there's some very valuable World War II memorabilia. You better believe it. You better. <laughs> on, on this Italian boat, they didn't give you like veal parmesan and pasta and all that? I mean, it wasn't. No, it wasn't anything like that. Well, just think, you make it through all that, the invasion of Normandy, and you're thinking you're going to die coming back home on a ship. On <laughs> a ship. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah. You didn't know whether you damn thing he was going to make it back or not. You finally touch American soil. Well, we've seen the power Thatcher Liberty. We got on our knees, baby. Really? You were grateful. Better believe it. Gratitude. Gratitude for what you left behind. Gratitude for what you're coming home for. And a Absolutely. sense of accomplishment. Is I, it like a sense of accomplishment? Like we really did something good? Right. Yeah. That's... What, what was the welcome like when you got back to the States? Oh, it was great. Was it? it was great. It wasn't like Vietnam where they were spitting on the soldiers and Han- handling Jane. No. And- no, we had a great reception. Any woman you want? I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Lined up. Not I saw the picture of the sailor kit in Times Square. I'm not telling any more stories. <laughs> I mean, come on. He's an 18, I, I, I got a short one to tell you. At this time now, that the war was over, okay, we were 30 kilometers from, Ger- from Berlin. And we had nothing to do. So we go out wandering again. And I ran into an old Mercedes. I didn't know. What, it was pretty well beat up. So we tried to get it going. Damn, if we didn't get it going, we got caught again. <laughs> again? <laughs> the lesson there is don't try to steal yeah. a German BMW. <laughs> right, right. The lesson is don't we, get caught. Don't, yeah, get, don't caught. get caught. Don't get caught. Mr. Gibson, so you, you finally touch American soil. And you've seen you were at the D-Day invasion. You were at the Battle of the Bulge. You were, you admittedly scared at the Battle of the Bulge. You went through all this crap. Let me tell you the first start. We first went in. We went in at Camp Dix. Okay? Mm-hmm. Camp Dix had nothing but tents at that time. With pot belly stoves in the center to keep warm. What did I get? I got fire watch the first night. <laughs> you must have. That's because you stole the BMW. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> why. Stole a two sergeant general's BMW. That's what happened. They said, watch out for this. Just... <laughs> At what point did what you went through start to set in mentally? Because, again, I have this understanding of war. I've never been to war. But war is war. Okay. And I know it had to, it had to affect you up here. It did. How did you it deal did. with it? Well, it got to the point where you, you you didn't like trust anybody at that point, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Was there ever any? Uh, of course, you go to bed at night and you you hear bing 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 bing. So a lot of right, yeah. A lot of post traumatic stress or, right. or what they called it was, back in the day, shell, the, shock. shell shock. But the thing know. of it is, you had to do something. You had to get that your mind off of. Yeah. So you went to work as soon as you could, and I did, and that helped out. Because, you know, your generation dealt with post-traumatic stress much differently than our generation deals with it. And yeah. I think there's some lessons to be learned for how you, because t- you didn't have the, the resources that we have available now. You know, if you told anybody, I'm, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, please. If you went to tell anybody, say, hey, look, I'm, I'm a little screwy in the head. And like something, something's not right here. You'd probably get looked at a little funny. Yeah, yeah, right. So you had to eat it. And you went to work, and that's how you got through it. Was did it ever rear its head in any unhealthy ways for you? No, but I, I worked with other GIs that had been the Navy and Army personnel that helped out. Mm-hmm. We w- worked together. You, you, know, were, you were the American version of the Band of Brothers. You had, you had people to talk to and talk right, about. Right. 
That's like how I know Bob through my VFW. Right. You know, I mean, all of us, we meet once a month, we put on, uh, you know, different events at the VFW and, you know, it's a camaraderie that I I know personally it helps me and I know it helps Mr. Mr. Gibson. So Bob. I that, Mr. Gibson. I have to be Mr. Gibson. You can call him Bob. That's that's the way it is. But you you've you've shared blood yeah. on foreign soil, even though you were in two different conflicts and two different wars. A thousand percent. We were talking on the ride up here, and we started talking about the differences, you know, from World War II to you know when I deployed in Iraq and whatnot. And it it's it's different, but it's the same. The one thing I'll say about you, Mr. Gibson, is what you went through landing on that beach. None of us will ever see again in American history. That will never happen again. It'll all be pushed by. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So you went through, sir, living history. And I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful I'm, for. I'm proud I've done it. I'm, pr- I'm proud to have you sitting across the table from me where I'm able to have this discussion. And it's, it's an education for me. To sit down there, because I, like I said, I've, I, I told you earlier that I've known some people who were at the D-Day invasion, but I was too young, too stupid, or maybe too afraid to ask them certain questions about the way they felt. Yeah. And that's why you sitting here is so important to me. Uh, now, we're coming to the end of this thing here, and you've seen suffering on a level that most people cannot imagine. Couldn't even fathom. Can you tell us what you've learned from it? I to take care of myself and help other people as much as you can. I love it. And don't forget, the old boy upstairs has... He's, he has a final call. He's got the final say. <laughs> exactly. And I thank him every night. Well, listen, I want to thank you every night. You and everybody that was over there because it's because of you and, and people like you that made this country as great as it is. And I truly appreciate, I had chills the whole time just sitting here looking at you and speaking to you. It is an absolute honor. Well, this is the way that people treated you in France. Incidentally, I went over the May the 31st to come back to eat. For the anniversary of the the invasion. 78th anniversary. Really? And how was that going back? What was it like for you to go back to France? Everything's changed. 78 years. Do you see, it's the, I, I know the craters are still there. Yeah. Some of the pillboxes are still there. Yeah. When you yeah. stepped on that beach, did it, did you have some flashes of water? Oh, yeah. yeah. And the tide was coming in the same time it was when we landed. Around two or three in the afternoon. Now, your accommodations to get there were probably a lot better this time around. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but you, nice you would never seen a celebration like they had on D-Day. It was fantastic. I, I, you're a dying breed, sir. You're a dying breed. We need to hear these stories. We need to continue to remember these stories um, in, so that we can never forget some of the bravery that the young men and sacrifice that the young men of this country and women nowadays are putting up. They're, they're giving them themselves. Listen, we had the women in our days too, you know. Yes, I do. I do. They might not have picked up a rifle, but they were, they were just as valuable. I went in the field hospital in Aachen. I got caught in a barbed wire fence. And I went into that place, and you would not believe the care that was given. But these fellows were just, I can't, I can't explain. I was going to say, some of the things that these women had to see also. They, had to put they, up they saw the worst of the worst. There's guys in their legs off and hollering, and I couldn't take it. I had a well, I'm certainly. I I'm got a band aid and I left. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly glad you're sitting here today, Chris. This is living history right here. I agree. I'm, like I said, I've had chills the whole time. Mr. Gibson, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for everything. I appreciate you too. And, and, and thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all you continue to do. And thank you for coming in here and sharing your story with us. It was, it's heartfelt. I appreciate it. Really it. I appreciate it. Are you a cigar smoker? <laughs> you are okay. One of our we're gonna we're gonna give you a, a nice Belladama cigar. She's one of our sponsors. It's Chantel's one of our greatest supporters. Um, she's one of two female cigar owners in the country. <laughs> uh, she she's wonderful. And if you go to belladamacigars.com, put in the suffering ten, you get a ten percent discount. But we're gonna send you home with a couple of them today. Okay. Once again, thank you so much. And thank you.
That's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of D-Day. And let's think about all the stuff that we learned today. Perspective. That one simple word. War is war, no matter what time, no matter what age. Sometimes you just have to, you have a job to do, and you just do it. Bite the bullet. Literally and figuratively sometimes. (laughs) Hitler was a shithead. (laughs) (laughs) Gratitude. And honor. That's one of the biggest lessons that I've taken from you today. Absolutely. But most importantly, take care of yourself and take care of those around you. Absolutely. That's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast, the Suffering of D-Day. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Follow Mike at Mike underscore Felice. Follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. And follow the Suffering Podcast. Don't forget to look out for Best Defense Foundation, taking care of the ones that take care of us. These men and women, the service that they gave this country, we can never repay. And we will see you on the next episode. Have a good night.